About 11 years ago, when Han and I lived here in Dallas, we were living in a uh, garage apartment over by North Park Mall. And as poor seminary students, we had no money. And one day we were out on a walk in our neighborhood and the topic of discussion on our walk that day was that Hannah had been invited to a wedding shower. And as you know, when you get invited to a wedding shower, it's customary to bring a gift. But we had no money. And so there we were walking along the way, talking about how we have absolutely no money, no money to even bring a humble gift to this wedding shower, when I kid you not, there on the side of the sidewalk was a $20 bill. It was amazing that God just dropped manna from heaven, dollar bills falling out of the sky to provide for our very basic need. But that's the only time God's ever done that. I've never, at any other point in life, had God just drop money from heaven. Actually, that's not true because this year, Several times, somebody with the initials IRS keeps dropping money into my bank account. (laughs) But that's another sermon for another day. On a serious note, listen, we've all had those times in life when money was tight. Some of you have had those times in life when maybe you didn't know if you could pay the bill or if you could put food on the table. But I bet if we were to go around this morning, every one of us has a story of how God provided in a miraculous way. Maybe not finding money on the side of the road, but somehow God came through in a remarkable way and provided. So the question I want us to ask together this morning is how does God provide for his people and what are we to do when we worry along the way? As we continue this series in some of my favorite passages in the life and ministry of Jesus, we're going to answer that question, what do we do when we worry along the way? Now, typically, pastors shy away from preaching on money. And this is only my third weekend, and already I'm doing it. But by the end of this message, I think you'll see why. You'll see why this is one of my favorite passages. So grab your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to take a look at verses 19 through 34 together this morning. And there on your outline, you can see three things we're going to talk about. First, here in Matthew 6, we're going to see Jesus' command. He lays out a very clear contrast, a very specific command for us. That's number one. Number two, he's then going to provide some encouragement to not worry, but to seek first. And then finally, we'll talk about how to apply this passage in our life today. So grab your Bible again. Let me read for you, starting out number one on your outline, Jesus' command, Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 19. Jesus commands here, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. 
Let's pause right there. I just want you to notice the contrast that Jesus is laying out here. He's laying out a contrast between earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. He commands us, notice, to store up for ourselves not treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. He says, listen, treasures on earth are only going to rust, get destroyed, get stolen. So really, this is a common sense argument, right? Jesus says, listen, this is just common sense. Why would you invest in things that don't last? Instead, he commands us to invest in things that are eternal. In other words, don't waste your life trying to accumulate things that aren't going to last, but instead focus on the eternal. Pretty straightforward, right? But the commands of Jesus here are much more than just sound financial advice. Because notice the reason why we get in verse 21. Why should we store up for ourselves not treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven? Because, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why is Jesus concerned about what we invest in? Because what we treasure reveals a lot about our heart. What we treasure reveals our heart. Like he typically does, Jesus here focuses not so much on the action itself, but really on the heart attitude behind the action. He shows that what we trust in, what we treasure in, reveals a lot about who we are. I love the words that are attributed to Thomas Cranmer. He's the man who compiled the Book of Common Prayer. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. In other words, what we truly love, we do. And what we do, we justify, right? We make excuses for if it's the wrong thing. Jesus here says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he continues this way of thinking. Notice verses 22 and 23. He says, the eye is a lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Here Jesus is drawing upon a common Jewish idiom or way of thinking here that this imagery between the dark eye and a light lie and a clear eye represented generosity. But a bad eye represented stinginess and greed. And Jesus again here, he's getting to the heart of the issue. What we view, how we view money, says a lot more than just what our bank account holds. But it truly says a lot about who we are, about our soul. Money often reveals more than we realize. Jesus, again, is getting to the issue of the heart here. And money, Jesus says, is really like a litmus test to something much deeper. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read Jesus' words here and I see this contrast between earthly treasures and heavenly treasures, part of me thinks, now wait a second. 
Why does it have to be either or? I mean, can't we pursue both? No. Notice what Jesus says in the next verse, verse 24. Anticipating, I think, what we would ask, he says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve. Jesus presents God and money as though they're two distinct and very different slave owners, and you have to pick one. You can only serve one. You cannot serve both. He says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot love God and money. I love what Tony Evans says here. He says, many men and women will say, I don't love money. I don't love money. He says, okay, you don't love it, but you date it, you fantasize about it, you romance it, you lose sleep over it. I don't know, that sounds a lot like love to me. (laughs) The truth of the matter is, when we look at Jesus' words here, money is a fantastic servant, but it is a terrible master. Money is a fantastic servant that we can use to do amazing things, but it is a terrible master. I love dogs. And a few years ago, we got a family dog, a beautiful golden retriever. We named him Huckleberry, and Huckleberry is a great dog. But in the process, I realized I don't really like dogs. I like other people's dogs because I don't like the maintenance of taking care of a dog. I mean, think about it. You have to bathe them. You have to play with them. You have to take them on walks. You have to clean up after them. They chew on things. They dig. They bark in the middle of the night. You have to arrange your entire life around this animal. You leave the house and you make plans for when you have to come back to let the dog out. And suddenly this thing that you thought would bring so much joy and happiness to your life begins to control you. And if you're a dog person, no offense, I like dogs. I like your dog. I just didn't like my dog. (laughs) But that's how it is with everything. Over time we realize the things we accumulate, the possessions we own end up owning us. The things we possess end up possessing us and controlling our life. And that's the idea of what Jesus is getting at here. To summarize real quick, verses 19 through 24, Jesus uses this contrast between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. He uses that as a way to reveal what's truly in our heart. He highlights that God is deserving of undivided commitment. You cannot serve God in money. Again, the words of Jesus here are pretty simple. They're straightforward. But they're much more complex to live out. Because we live in a world in many ways that revolves around money. And sometimes in life, disaster strikes. There are times in life when bills simply have to get paid. You get invited to wedding showers and have to bring a gift and medical costs start to accumulate. So the question is, 
What do we do when we worry along the way? To answer that, I want you to look at number two on your outline, the first point there under number two on your outline. Jesus' encouragement to us is don't worry. Notice verse 25. Jesus says, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What I love about Jesus' words, not only here, but in everything he says, his words are so grace-filled and kind and yet so convicting and challenging at the same time. The words of Jesus here, I mean, they're so simple. They're so grace-filled, and yet it reveals over and over again truly the sin of our heart. He really gets to the heart issue here, and six times in the coming verses, he's going to use that word worry, because we tend to worry about money. Jesus knows that. Six times he says, don't be worried. Don't worry. Why do you worry about this? Because God is going to provide for you. After all, notice verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. That they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. You have to love what Jesus does here. I'll never forget, by the way, one time I was in Israel at the traditional location of the Sermon on the Mount reading these very words. And, I, and again, I'm not kidding you when I say this. At that very moment, a bird flew up in the bush right next to me. It was perfectly timed by God. But notice, I mean, the, the imagery here is so simple. Jesus says, look at the birds, look at the flowers, and you've got to see the, the bit of humor in Jesus' words here, this picture of birds pushing plows and piling seeds into silos of lilies spinning yard and knitting sweaters. It's ridiculous. He says, and yet not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of those. So why do you worry you have little faith. He's, he's highlighting here that God provides for his creation. Now let me be clear on something here real quick. Jesus is not freeing us from work. He's freeing us from worry. He's not saying that we can just sit back passively on our couches, open our mouths, and God will drop potato chips from heaven, right? He's not freeing us from work. He's freeing us from worry. Notice again verse 31. He says, do not worry then, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing. Notice this, for the Gentiles, the pagans, eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. 
Jesus says, listen, it's pagan to spend your life worrying about this stuff when you have a father, a provider in heaven. God will provide for his people. So don't spend your life seeking after money. So if that's, not where, if that's not what we're to do, what are we supposed to do? Look at that second sub-point there under number two. Instead of worrying, we are to seek first. Verse 33, but if we're not going to worry, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So rather than seeking after money like the pagans, here Jesus calls us to seek not the material things, but the eternal things. Now again, every word is important here. Notice Jesus says, seek first. That word first highlights priority. Jesus is not denying that we have legitimate needs. He's not denying the fact that we do have to work, that God has gifted us with sound minds and bodies so we can work. What Jesus here is highlighting is a matter of first priority. To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The question here is to what, or better yet, to whom do we turn as our provider? Jesus says, listen, I want you to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. In other words, we need to make God our number one priority to have an eternal perspective, to look to the coming kingdom and live righteously while we wait and not worry about the other stuff because God will provide. Again, six times Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Why? Because your heavenly father knows that you need these things. Tony Evans, again, to quote, says, worry is a down payment on a problem you may never have. (laughs) Worry is a down payment on a problem you may never have. So why worry when you have a loving father? As a dad, one of my greatest joys in life is to provide for my children, to provide not only their needs, but also occasionally their wants. To work hard so I can provide for them food, clothing, and shelter. And also, at times, to provide ice cream. Just this past week, we went and bought them new bicycles, and the joy, one of the joys of my life is seeing my children delight in what I've provided for them. And if I, a sinful man, a selfish man, can find that sort of delight and joy in seeing my children, God certainly does as well. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. So don't worry. So as we take a step back and look at everything Jesus is saying here, Matthew 6, 19 through 34, we see that our highest pursuit in life should not be money but him. Our greatest need in life is not material but spiritual. And ultimately, where it all begins is we realize that our deepest spiritual need is a relationship with God that money cannot buy. 
that the debt we owe God is so deep, the extent of our sin is so bad, that we truly come to him entirely helpless and hopeless were it not for his son. The beauty of the gospel is that although we're dead in our trespasses and sins, though we've all, like sheep, turned aside, turned astray, God has taken care of our deepest need, our spiritual debt, by placing it on his son. And listen, for those of you here this morning, those of you watching online, I want to give you the opportunity to trust in him. To believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That debt that you owe to God was placed on him and he paid it in full. That's the greatest news ever told. And for those of us who have trusted in Jesus as our savior whose sins are forgiven, I want to talk about application number three on your outline. This is where it gets really challenging for us because it's one thing to understand the words of Jesus here, but it's another thing to apply it. So how do we take the words of Jesus here in Matthew 6 and live it out today? Listen, Jesus is telling us, don't seek after what money can buy. It's all going to fade away anyway. It'll all end up in the dumpster. But rather seek after the things money cannot acquire the things no moth, rust, or thieves can ever take away, to focus on the eternal, to keep our eyes with that eternal perspective. When we look at the words of Jesus here in Matthew chapter six, again, I want you to hear that money is a great servant, but it is a terrible master. And yet, if you're anything like me, I struggle with that. Because everything in our world tells us to acquire, to get more and more. You're never satisfied. The problem with making money our main priority is that we know it doesn't last. Again, possessions end up possessing you. And let's be honest. I absolutely love the words of Dave Ramsey when it comes to money. He says, we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like. <laughs> We spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like. And yet we continue to fall into this vicious, vicious cycle. Now for the next few minutes, I wanna address something maybe a little bit more specific. To address people who are not living right now in times of plenty, but you're living in times of scarcity. You're here this morning and, and you're in that place of not knowing if you can pay the bill. You don't know if you're gonna be able to put food on the table. First thing I want you to hear me say is that Jesus is not, again, denying the needs that we have of food and clothing. So what do we do when we worry along the way? No matter your situation in life, notice the key thing we see here is that it comes down to the heart. Jesus is calling us to replace our worry with worship. To replace our worry with trust in him, the loving God who provides. The question of the text here that I really want you to wrestle with is when disaster hits your life, what's first priority? What do you seek first? Do you check the balance of your bank account? Or do you turn to your benevolent God? 
And what I want you to see is that there is a major difference between trusting in what God has provided versus trusting in God who provides. There's a major difference between trusting in what God has provided versus trusting in God who provides. And Jesus is here calling us to trust in our God who provides. There at the bottom of your outline or the backside of your outline, I have some application questions for you. Things like, I've given you some verses to look at, what the Bible says about money and working hard and things like that. But your one thing for this week, if you have time for nothing else, there at the very bottom, I want you to ask yourself the following questions and more importantly, honestly answer them. How and when are you tempted to worry about money? What practical step is the Lord asking you to take in order to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? And Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. The final question I wanna propose to you this morning is how does God add all of these other things to us? Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Well, how does that happen? Rarely does God drop manna from heaven, right? Rarely does God just drop money from the sky. So how does he work about in such a way to provide for the needs of his people? When you look at everything the Bible has to say about money, the most common way that God provides for the needs of his people is through his people. Needs within the body of Christ are met through the body of Christ. And so maybe you're here this morning and you have some extra finances. We have a helps fund here at Grace that you could contribute to. Maybe you're here this morning though and you are in need. You need help. I'd encourage you if you find yourself in that position to talk to Pastor Bob, there is a helps committee here that he will pass your information on to them and they'll see what they can do to help you. And it's a delight uh, of me as a pastor to be able to step alongside and to bear one another's burdens in really tangible ways like this. Because not long after I found that $20 bill on the side of the road, Han and I were still seminary students, and we had no money. And suddenly we found ourselves hit with another financial difficulty. See, the Lord had blessed us with the birth of our daughter, Chloe, who's now 10 years old, but when Chloe was born, she had a heart abnormality. Her heart rate was about 300 beats a minute, and so we found ourselves in and out of the emergency room constantly during her first month and two months of life. And in those moments, we had no money. And the bills came in and we still had no money. But the people here at Grace Bible Church came alongside of us. They paid off the medical bills that we owed. And that's why I wanted to share this passage with you this morning. That's why this passage means so much to me. And I can't thank you enough for your generosity to us for being the way that God provided for our needs so that we didn't have to worry along the way. Let's pray. Father, thank you. First and foremost, for canceling the spiritual debt that we owe. Thank you that 
in the deadness of our trespasses and sins, Father, you sent your Son. And thank you that you don't expect of us because we can't pay it back. It's a gift. Thank you that you've taken care of our deepest need. And thank you, Father, as well, that you delight in taking care of our physical needs. Help us to see that all we have ultimately comes from you. For many in this room, you've blessed us with sound mind and bodies. Help us to see that that's ultimately from you. There are many in this room who have an abundance. Help them to see that it's ultimately from you. And there are some in this room who are in need. Father, I pray that you would release them from their worry. I pray that you would raise up people within the body of Christ to meet that need. Help us to love one another well, to bear one another's burdens so we don't have to worry along the way. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and grace. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.